please join me in today's scripture reading found in Hosea 2, 14 through 23. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, here we are in Hosea. Hosea is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, and I want to sort of set the stage for this, because the key phrase in our passage this morning is, God wants to show us the door of hope, the door of hope. Uh, so you find that there in verse 14, or verse uh, 15. And I will give her uh, her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, her valley of trouble, tribulation, a door of hope. Um, so I have to go back uh, 16 years ago. I uh, went through one of the most difficult times of my life. It's one of those dark nights of the soul where things were really hard, difficult. And uh, in spiritual warfare, uh, we talk about how the enemy comes to get us to chase the flashing bait. You know, something says, if you have this much money, you have this power, you're gonna, your life will be worth living. Uh, but spiritual warfare is also that the enemy comes to bury us. Um, so uh, John Eldridge, who writes on this very well, says, if the devil can't get you to do bad stuff, he will bury you with a lot of good stuff. So your life is just crushed with all this stuff that's going on. It's not any, any of it bad, but you're buried in avalanche of responsibility, problems, needs that, you know, just keep you from being alive. You're just buried in, in stuff. And here what we see in this passage is that Jesus is going to speak through the book of Hosea to invite us back to a door of hope a door of hope for us. But um, I went to see a counselor because I knew I was not in a good place. I knew that this counselor had helped me before. And I went and asked him to help me work through what had become this sense of being buried with disappointment, frustration, bitterness, you name it, I was under it. And so my counselor, as good counselors will do, will ask you great questions to help you kind of figure out what's going on. So here was the question that my counselor asked me. And I didn't see it coming, but it was a great question. He said, Clyde, where's the door? Now, he could have done a little bit more than that, but I knew what he was asking me. He's a believer. I'm a believer. I knew what he was asking me is, where is the door into your heart? Where's the door? Because he heard me moaning and groaning and complaining 
Where's the door? So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. If you and I were sitting together late this afternoon over a cup of hot tea, and we're just talking about uh, the national championship tomorrow night, and uh, I just want to disrupt you, and I'd go, where's the door? And you'd say, it's with the dogs. I mean, come on, you know? My heart's with the dogs or with the horde frogs, TCU. Um, you know, but seriously, where, where's the door into your heart uh, and your relationship with God? And uh, so I would meet with the counselor, and I wouldn't answer the question because I'll tell you, the question made me mad. I didn't like the question. I felt insulted. I'm a pastor. I'm a paid Christian. I, you know, come on. You, got some, you have to have something better than that. But he kept just you know, diving, where's the door, where's the door? And finally, he finished our counseling session after a meeting with him for months. And uh, I basically said, you know, this is one of the worst counseling experiences I've ever had uh, with this guy. And I fired him, you know. And then when people said, well, how was your counseling with so-and-so? And I go, man, he, he's lost it. He's not as good as he used to be. And I complained about it. Uh, and said, you know, he used to really, I don't know what's going on, but he's not the counselor he once was. That's how negative and dark it was. It would be later that God would show me the door. I mean, God brought me face to face with that door. And the question that the counselor asked me set the stage for his answer, but it had to come in a way that I would know God gave it to me. I didn't figure it out. Uh, he didn't tell me what it was because I kept sitting there as he's saying, where's the door? I, I, here's what I was thinking. You know where the door is. Stop monkeying with me and tell me where it is, you know, because to be honest, I really didn't know where it was. I'd lost it. My heart was shut down. My heart was hard. And my mentor, Jack Miller, loved to talk about churches that have lost their way. He says they're buildings without a door. Uh, so you imagine going to a church where there's no door in terms of spiritual door to get into what the church is meant to be. But that's what can also be true about us as people, is that um, we're followers of Jesus, but people don't see a way into what we have. They don't know that there is a way into what we have because we're people living without a door. The door's not there. It's hidden. It's covered up. It's buried. Uh, it's a survival bunker with a door over it that says, do not mess with me, <laughs> or don't irritate me, don't disrupt me. So where is the door? And this would be a good thing, again, to say to God, God, I don't know where my door is. I've lost it. Uh, but here in this passage, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. Now, where are we in Israel at this time? It's 8th century B.C., uh, the Assyrians are ruling now, not Babylon. Babylon comes later, but the Assyrians were brutal, and you lived in great terror. You think of what the Ukraine's going through now, multiply that by 10. The Assyrians were brutal in the way they crushed countries and people. So we have northern Israel and southern Israel. It's a divided kingdom. Jeroboam is the king in northern Israel. Uh, Hosea is a prophet to northern Israel. So uh, that's where his primary work is. It goes by Ephraim. There's other things there. But again, I just want to say as a sidebar, if you want a book that will really renew your hope in who God is, read Hosea. Uh, I mean, it, it will thrill you to realize this is what my God is like, or this is what God is like. Or if you want to know where the door is, 
read Hosea. So when we look at this text, we see a couple things that are really fascinating. Notice what it says, therefore, he's speaking of Israel as a young bride, as a young woman. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. In other words, I will draw her in. I will woo her. I will let her know that she's desired. Now, one of the big challenges for most people to realize is that God desires them. That God really wants a relationship with them. That God really does love them. We're starting a series in our Sunday school uh, class on a praying life. And Paul would say this, but another guy I'm reading right now said, the biggest challenge that he's found in a pastor or being a pastor for over 25 years is for people to believe that God loves them the way he says he does. That's your biggest challenge today. If I could say anything to you, I would say this, is that what would it look like for you to believe that God loves you as much as he says he does? How would it change you? How would it transform you? And here's the question, where's the door? How do you get into that? How do you begin to let that love penetrate who you are in the core of where you live? Um, and then notice the thing that's so beautiful. God says, I'm going to take this young bride, this young woman, into the wilderness. And we'll come back to wilderness in a second. But notice what's going on here. And I'm going to speak tenderly to her. Now, at this point, the church, the synagogue, the nation of Israel is a train wreck. The attendance at synagogue, at the temple is way down. And the crazy cult across the street called Baal is rocking. That's the fun church to go to. That's the growing church. That's the one that's in the front pages of the paper. Like, can you believe what happened at the Baal Temple this past week? And all these people who'd grown up in synagogue and temple are now abandoning this relationship with a loving covenantal God and they're going across the street to the place that is the worst. Now, because we have children here this morning, I can't go into detail of how bad it was, but you can read it. It was terrible. And here's Hosea's story. He starts off by saying, God called me to marry a woman who would be unfaithful. Now, we don't know if out of the, from the beginning he knew that or he found and discovered it later, but either way, if you've ever watched somebody be in a relationship where unfaithfulness has happened, it is just heartbreaking. Uh, it is crushing. Um, sadly, as being a pastor, I've had to walk through more situations than I want to remember, but I've been there when I get the phone call like this. So you have to go back a ways here, but I get a phone call from a woman. She said, Clyde, I just got in my car today. And uh, I saw a Valentine card, and I thought, oh, my husband must have left it there by accident. <laughs> you know, he didn't, you know, he bought it, and uh, he's going to give it to me later. But when I started looking at the Valentine's card, it was written to somebody else. It was written to somebody else, a woman that her husband was working with. And you can imagine the pain, the the sadness, the brokenness of that. Now, here's what's going on. Uh, Hosea's wife, she's got a tough name for us to work with because we hear her name, Gomer, we think of Gomer Pyle, so try to push that out. Uh, but Gomer uh, is going across the street to this 
unbelievably cultic, bad place to worship. She's going across the street. What is going on? Now, Hosea represents the priesthood. Gomer represents the rebelliousness of the nation. And now, let's think about this. So, uh, so let's go back. So I go to meet uh, with this woman's husband who's written a Valentine's card to somebody else. Um, and uh, if I'm going to be my fleshly self and I'm walking to that meeting with him with some other leaders from our church, the thing I want to do is I want to start yelling at him. What were you thinking? Do you know what you've done? Look at your beautiful children. Think of what you have. You were a leader of our community, and you're doing this? Is this this? Yeah, we got to stretch this out a little bit. Um, uh, you know, it's, I want to start yelling. When you read what the nation of Israel is doing, if it doesn't get you upset, some, you know, like, is there a pulse there? Something's wrong. I mean, it's just so horrific what's going on in Israel at this time. I mean, I, I'm just giving you a little glimpse, but you can read it. Again, for the sake of the children, we're not, we don't need to go there. Uh, but uh, it is awful. So I can imagine going into a counseling situation with Gomer, knowing what she has done, because not only... Has she brought judgment and shame on herself? Her children are now abandoned as well. Uh, and, and so her children are suffering. It's right here in the text. You can read it later. Her children are made to suffer because of her rebelliousness. I want to walk into that counseling room and say, Gomer, what? what are you doing? And it makes me mad that you would do this, that you would hurt your husband, Hosea. Da, 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 da. But what does God do? God says, I want to speak tenderly to her. Now, folks, most of us here understand grace. We understand mercy. But this is a powerful demonstration of the mercy that's available to me. Because if you were to follow me around and know part of my story and you saw some of the mistakes I've made and things I've done as a professional Christian, as a pastor, you'd be going, what the heck were you thinking? Why did you do that? Now, my sins are not Gomer's sins, just to relax, but my sins are more religious in nature, which is, are just as bad as what Gomer was doing, because here's the thing I want you to think about when you read Hosea. Okay, so here's the story. It's the story of a prophet representing the priesthood. We have Gomer representing the people. So here's the, here's the question we want to ask ourselves. Why was Gomer leaving the beauty and the power of the temple to go across the street to worship something else that would destroy her? Why would she leave that? Why would she walk away from that? What was going on that would cause her to leave that? Now, I'd love to tell you the beauty of the story is that God brings her back, and Hosea brings her back, and she stays, but she keeps going across the street. Do you have anybody in your life who sort of dabbles in the faith, they come back to the faith, but then they go back into their addiction, into their drivenness, into their living a very worldly life at the expense of their relationship with God? Unfortunately, I know more of those people than I want to admit. Uh, two of our children right now that I'm going to ask for prayer for after church. Um, and uh, what do you do with that? What's happened? Now, when you read Hosea carefully, you'll read in the text, the problem for, okay, for Gomer, for the people of Israel, is the temple was dead. 
The temple had lost its power. It lost its vision. It had lost its hope. And so, you know, you can go to the temple and be bored out of your mind, or you can go to the cult of Baal, and it's like, woo, baby, we're on, you know? It's like, this is the most exciting place going on. There's more stuff that's so instantaneous, gratifying. I love this. This is all about blah, 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 blah. But what had happened to the temple? You know, what had happened to the temple that it had lost the tenderness of their God, the TLC, had lost the presence of God? What had happened to Gomer? And part of the answer was Hosea. (laughs) The priesthood had lost it. The leaders had lost it. The church was dead. There was no power there. There was no mercy. There was no kindness. There was just a lot of judgment and condemnation and yelling and screaming. Now, I think all of us, because we believe in the sanctity of the human life, celebrate what's happened for the issue of abortion in our country. I've been involved in that struggle since 1973. Um, But I remember uh, talking to a friend of mine who was uh, an older man who was an elder in the PCA, and he said, Clyde, I think that the law, this was in the 70s, what's happened is a judgment against our country, but it's a judgment against the church. Now, most of you, uh, and it still happens, but most of you weren't around when I went to high school. Um, if a woman got pregnant in high school, she disappeared. Uh, I can remember I was a starting quarterback for my team, and we're going up once they're big rivals, and I show up at the game, uh, and I'm getting ready to talk to my wide receiver, who was my number one go-to guy. He wasn't at the game, and the reason that he was at the game, wasn't at the game, is that he was marrying his girlfriend that had gotten pregnant, and they just kind of disappeared. They left the community in shame. Uh, it's really hard for us to comprehend how mean and cruel the church was against young women who got pregnant unless you lived it. Um, Why was Gomer, why were the nation of Israel running away? Because there wasn't a place for people to be sinners and to be forgiven and healed and loved and cared for and be restored. Um, Hopefully you've had this experience. If you hadn't, this is a good place to find it because there are a lot of tender people here who've suffered and been through a lot of hardship that when you confess your struggle, your pain, They're not going to look at you and go, what's wrong with you? (laughs) What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? And you're going to really find that rather than what's wrong with you, they're going to say, we have a way. We know a door that you can walk through where you're going to find hope of starting your life over. I remember sitting with a young man who had wrecked his marriage by being stupid and doing stupid stuff. I remember sitting with his wife out on Christmas Eve, and she was so brokenhearted because of what her husband had done. And she looked at me and said, she said, Clyde, I don't know if I'll ever be beautiful again. I don't know if I'll ever be beautiful again. And if I could have seen her husband at that moment, I would have got up punched him in the face. <laughs> I was so angry that this beautiful young woman had been so hurt and I was just just filled with anger about a week later I got to be with him and Jesus was working in me fortunately and I was with him and I heard myself 
saying tender things to him about he, how he could start over and how God could forgive him and how God could rebuild the relationship he had forfeited through his stupidity. I'm so thrilled to tell you, you know, 10 years later, they have a beautiful marriage. Their life is rocking. Their kids are great. Because God revealed his tenderness to this rebel of a man, this proud, arrogant, stupid man. God has broken him in a good way, in the right places. And he loves Jesus. Who does that but God, you know? He and his wife went into the wilderness and God was going to meet her and heal her, but he was going to meet him and speak tenderly to him and restore him. See, part of being the church, part of why we want to be sent as God's people is we have that way. We have that to offer to people who've made a train wreck out of their lives, that they can start over that they can rebuild, that God can restore them. Now, it always isn't as neat as this story. It doesn't always end that way. But what I can tell you is regardless of how God writes the end of the story, people are changed when they're loved deeply, when they are broken and are in need. And the story of Hosea is about what brings people back from the craziness and the cult of the world back to the church is that it is there that they feel treasured and loved and cared for. And feel seen. Uh, recently, I was talking with a guy, and I asked him, why are, why are you in this church? You know, it's a different church, different part of the state. And he says, you know, that, that church, I feel seen. And I feel accepted. I feel loved there. And he has made a train wreck of his life. But he says, you know, I, people see me, and they don't judge me. They see me, and they want to care for me. They see me, and they want to listen to me. And that's why I'm here. See, North Cross already has that going on, but we want to cultivate it. We want to say, okay, let's, let's figure this out. How does it work? Um, so as a church, how do we get free from being critical, judgmental, cynical, disillusioned ourselves? Is that God wants to show us that door of hope. So look at the church at Laodicea. We'll, you know, might look at that in a few weeks, but most of you know the scripture well. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, it says this. You know, basically, God says, uh, here's your problem. You don't think you have any problems, but you do, but your main problem is you're lukewarm. Um, and maybe the reason it's hard for you to figure out why you're, where your heart is or you know your heart's in the wrong place is that you become lazy. Uh, with your relationship with God, and that you're suffering because of that. I can remember talking with a professor one time, and I was asking him in office hours to help me figure out this sort of problem that he had presented to the whole class. And I really, I was genuinely asking, but he listened to me talk for a while, and he said, Clyde, you know, your problem is not that you can't do this. Your problem is that you're lazy. <laughs> and I felt so insulted. It's like, you know, I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm here at office hours, you say, come, and now you're calling me lazy. But he was spot on. Um, the problem for many of us is that we're lukewarm. The fire has burned really low. And we're wondering why we're so divided and we're so out of it. And our kids don't want what we have. And don't are pursuing God the way we want them to is because 
It's not real for us. Um, Jesus says, I'm going to come to your heart. You want to find your heart? Listen to where Jesus is knocking. I'm going to knock on the door of your heart. um, And I'm going to say, I want to be with you. And I want to feed you your favorite meal. Uh, There was a young woman I worked with many years ago who became this fabulous um, uh, missionary. Um, She'd grown up in a very difficult family. She was a nurse, um, just a cruel father, so mean to her, so hard on her, so demanding. Um, And she just couldn't get past her need to forgive her dad uh, for what he'd done. But when God began to speak tenderly and help her to forgive, her life really changed. But she wrote me a poem. If I can find it, I'll post it on the website or in the, my e-letter to you, where she basically says, Jesus kept knocking at the door of her heart. See, the door of hope is a door which is inside of us, the door of hope. The door is there. Jesus is the door. But the door that Jesus wants to say is, I want to invite you Uh, I want to invite you into a relationship where I can heal you, which he's promising the Laodiceans. I want to heal you so that you can be free. And here's what she talks about in her poem. She says, I heard Jesus knocking at the door of my heart. I pulled the curtains. I pushed furniture up against the door. There was no way I was going to answer the door, she said, until I heard a knocking at my back door. And she says, I go to the back door and I, Open it, and there's Jesus, and he's got my favorite food. He said, hey, I want to sit down and eat with you. So tender. I mean, so real. Hospitality. Jesus saying, hey, I want to have, and let's talk about what, what you're dealing with. Man, when she forgave her dad, it was like, her life opened up in ways she would have never thought that they could open up. Boom. So, uh, so I went a few years ago to study in this Syrian refugee crisis with a group of guys went to Turkey and Lebanon. Uh, when I was in Lebanon, I sat down with a young woman from the Middle East who had fled her country, fled her family, because uh, here's what had happened is that um, she said, I had a dream. Now, this is happening in the Muslim world a lot, where God is revealing himself, Jesus revealing himself. She said, in the dream, there was somebody knocking. And... Uh, and I knew it was knocking, and so I opened up, and there was somebody there, but he was bloodied, and uh, blood on his head, blood on his hands, but he was smiling at me. I had no idea what that meant. And she said, um, so she goes into a Muslim chat room to say, hey, I just had this dream and had this experience. Does anybody know what happened to me? Um, and so... This goes on as well, stuff that we usually don't hear about, but unless somebody tells us, there were people who were Christians going into those chat rooms to witness to people, to Muslims. Um, And so immediately, she gets a text, not a text, but an email saying, hey, I think I know the answer. So they started a one-on-one conversation, and this guy explained to her who she was seeing was Jesus, and she comes to faith. She comes to faith in Christ. Now, as soon as she identified with a Christian, her life was at risk. She fled her country. She had come to Lebanon, and we were getting ready to put her on a boat from right there in Beirut that would take her to Crete and Cyprus and then, you know, to freedom. But 
Jesus was pursuing this young woman who she didn't even know she was being pursued, but she heard a knock. And so have you heard that sound on your heart of Jesus knocking? Do you need to hear it again? Um, David lost his way, got buried, and he says, Create within me, O God, a clean heart. Jesus wants to come and clean us up, renew us, restore us. And here's the promise. Many of you want to be on mission for God, but you can't do it unless you have a clean heart. Create within me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a willing spirit. And then I will teach people about you, and they'll come to know you. You see, the fruit of a transformed heart with Jesus is that God wants to use that heart to show people the door, the door of hope. Let us pray. Uh, Jesus, we're grateful this morning for the hope we share, uh, the love we share, uh, the freedom we share, and we pray today that you restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Create within us, oh God, a clean heart, we pray, and we ask this, Jesus, in your name, amen.